once again. Um, some of you guys can see my forehead, that it kind of looks a little jacked up. Um, for those of you guys who don't, don't know, um, the, the school district had asked us as a church if we could get together uh, and help out with the graduation for Serrano High School up at Mountain High. And so we brought some equipment for sound, and we were, you know, our staff was able to be over there and be some greeters and, and the signer inners type stuff. And I happened to be at the top greeting the people that are coming up the chairlift. And so I'm up at about 8,100 feet. And I'm Mexican, so why do I need sunblock, right? <laughs> well, guess what? Maybe I should have for the first time in my life, maybe, um, because I was a lot closer to the sun. But anyways, that's why my forehead is so jacked up right now. But anyways, be that as it may, uh, we are going to have communion in just a, you know, at the end of the service. And, and, and again, we, this is a self-serve. We're going to do a self-serve, and it's all self-contained. There's a little wafer inside of it. So there's two little things that you have to open up. First service, you can hear people going, oh, oh, oh. so... <laughs> There is a wafer in there. It's on top for the ex-Catholics. It's going to taste like a Catholic thingy, like the little wafers. So people are going, I, I, it tasted weird. It's like, it didn't taste weird to me. <laughs> Anyways, so there's a little wafer up on top, and then you open the whole thing, and then you, you, you take. So I'm just letting you guys know ahead of time. So now you're going to be thinking this as we get going here. So anyways, let's jump into our text this morning. We are in Acts chapter 21. And um, Paul is finishing up his third missionary journey. Now, I know I've been saying that for the last few studies, that Paul is finishing up his missionary journey, but it's a long way home for Paul. So that's why this journey has gone on and on and on. And so uh, as we start off this new chapter in chapter 21, we will be covering the first 14 verses of this chapter, and so now that I've given you enough time to get there, let's read our text. Verse 1, now it came to pass that when he had departed from them and set sail, running a straight course, we came to Kaz, and the following day to Rhodes, and from there to Patera. And finding a ship sailing over to Phoenicia, he went aboard and we went aboard and set sail. When we had sighted Cyprus, we passed it on the left side. On the left, sailed by, sailed to uh, to um, Syria, and landed at Tyre. For there, the ship was to unload her cargo. And finding disciples, we stayed there, stayed there seven days. They told Paul through the Spirit not to go to Jerusalem. When we had come to the end of those days, we departed and went our way. And they all accompanied us with wives and children till we were out of the city and we knelt down on the shore and prayed. When we had taken our leave of one another, we boarded the ship, and they returned home. And when we finished our voyage from Tyre, we came 
to Ptolemais, greeted the brethren, and stayed with them one day. On the next day, we, were, uh, we who were Paul's companions departed and came to Caesarea and entered the house of Philip the evangelist, who was one of the seven who stayed and stayed with him. Now a man, this man had four virgin daughters who prophesied. And as we stayed many days, this certain prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. When he had come to us, he took Paul's belt around his own hands and feet and bound his own hands and feet and said, Thus says the Holy Spirit, so shall the Jews at Jerusalem bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. Now when he, we heard these things, both we and those in that place pleaded with him not to go to Jerusalem. Then Paul answered, What do you mean weeping and breaking my heart? For I, am all, for I am ready not only to be bound, but also to die at Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. So when he would not be persuaded, we ceased, saying, The, Lord, the will of the Lord be done. Father, we just pray right now, Lord God, that as we've had the opportunity to open up your word and to be able to read through it, Lord, that you would help me. In, in just conveying the message, Lord, that you've laid on my heart. Lord, I know sometimes I, I have trouble reading through it, Lord God, but Lord, I pray that even through that, you would use it. Use your word because it is powerful and it transcends anything, Lord. And so please use it to minister to our hearts. This morning we ask in Jesus' name, amen. And so when we go back to verses 1 through 3 here, where it says, now it came to pass that when we had departed from them and set sail. Now, because I'm a sentimental kind of guy, and some of you guys know that, knowing that Paul and the Ephesian elders had had a serious moment, um, as we've seen last week, as we saw last week, um, of saying goodbye. I just wanted to see just how emotional was that time. Because as I'm reading, I'm always looking for the meaning of certain words. And the word departed kind of jumped out at me. And so again, knowing what, what had happened, there was a lot of sorrow and, and a lot of goodbyes and the embracing and all the stuff that was going on, the praying and stuff. And so I, I looked up the word or, where it says, when we departed, I looked up the word departed in the Greek. And it means to drag forth, i.e. literally, unsheathe a sword, or relatively, by a degree of force implied. Thayer's Greek lexicon says, to draw off, tear away. As in, having torn yourself uh, from the embrace of a, of a friend. You, you know, it's, it's almost like the, those times when you're having with someone that is so close to you and they're going to be leaving. And you just hold on to them and you don't want to let them go because that you know, I might not see them for a while or ever again. And so you, you have this tendency of just holding on that when it's time to like, okay, it's time to stop. 
that there's almost this tearing away that happens. And I like that phrase, tearing away, because it, it almost seems like, like when you tear away a piece of wood that's been glued together, it's never a clean break. That, that There's all these splinters that kind of go with that. And so when you tear away from someone who is really close to you, you know that you're taking a piece of them with you. And they're taking a piece of, 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 of you with them. And that's what it kind of seems like when, they, when he was saying goodbye to the Ephesian elders. I know we covered it last week. But again, looking at this word departed, that it's such a, like a, a just tearing apart that is going on. And I like the way the Amplified kind of puts it where, when it says, And when we had torn ourselves away from them and withdrawn. And so that tearing away, that dragging forth, that, 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 that as they tore away from these guys, they now boarded the ship, and now they are about to set sail. And they're taking off. And look at all the details that we get in our text here. Especially as we read these first few verses, we're going, man, there's a lot of stops along the way. And I love the details. And you know that I love giving you details. And I know some of you guys are going, you're giving us too much details. We don't need that much details. I don't need to know how many miles it is from here to there. Well, I do. And because I'm teaching, I tell you that. And I like to know how long it's going to take them. I know that, that some people are like, because ah, it would be so easy to overlook some of these details. But the, some of these details are so important for us. Because, we, we, because I think those people that, that's like, we could care less about all these details because these are a bunch of places that we will never visit or see. When was the last time you saw a commercial to go visit Cause? Nobody even knows where Cause is, but it was a small little island right there in the Asian Sea as they're going to enter into the Mediterranean Sea. And, and they're going to stop right there. And then they're going to stop at another island. And then they're going, because what is, what is happening here, it, it's, the details kind of tell us just how much time it takes for this journey. Again, I've been telling you, he's finishing up his journey. He's finishing up his journey. It takes a long time because they're walking or they're sailing. And now they're having to maneuver through all these, these ports. And they're going to stop at several, one, several of these ports. And I share all these kinds of details. And I think they're important because they're in God's word. Because again, it tells us how much time it took them to go from one place to another. Because for us to go from one place to another, it, it takes us minutes, maybe hours. And, and we could be sitting here right now, and by tomorrow, you could be on the other side of the world if you wanted to. And so it, it, it takes 15, 16 hours to go from here to the other side of the world, and yet we think nothing of it. These guys, it would have taken them months, if not years, to get to that place. And so for us, you know, we have to sit for over a minute at a red light and our flesh wants to come out and curse the red light because I've been there for over a minute and I'm complaining about Johnson and Phelan Road right there in that light because it takes forever and there's no cars coming and you're going, really? Change already! I don't know if you guys talk to lights, but I talk to lights sometimes because again, it's like, come on, precious time is a ticking 
And if we have to wait in an airport for over an hour in a layover, it's like, oh my gosh, the, the world is ending because I can't get to my place fast enough. And I think sometimes when we read these kinds of details in the Word of God, it really kind of helps us to understand, man, it was time-consuming for them to get from one place to another. And so it tells us that they are running a straight course. And they're going to hit cause, and then the following day, they, they, they will hit roads, and then after that, they will hit Patera. And again, these are small little islands that, that they're kind of maneuvering around, but they're, they're hitting port every time. And they're spending the day there. And it seems that when they get to Patera, they are now looking for a bigger ship. They probably went from a small a, a boat, a big boat, to a, a big ship. Because now they want to have a direct sail, like a direct flight, from Patera all the way to Felicia, which would be about 400 miles. Instead of them continuing to go around Asia Minor and hit port after port until they get back to their destination, they're going to go into the sea. They're going to go out and, and across, and they're going to be going from, from, from south, uh, or from the, the, the south of, of Asia Minor over to Tyre eventually. And they will be going in the southeast direction. And so as they're going that way, it's going to be about 400-mile voyage, so you know it's going to take them some time. Again, time is of the essence for Paul, because Paul wants to get back to Jerusalem for Pentecost. We know that because, again, he, was, he wanted to be there for, for Passover, but he just couldn't make it because the, the, the plans had changed. And so it's 50 days from, Pentecost, or from Passover to Pentecost, so time is of the essence for him. So that's why we're getting a lot of these details. And so now, instead of skirting the coastline, they're just going to go straight across. And it says, and when... We sighted Cyprus, and I love this, we passed it on the left, which means that they were coming on the south. And if you have your maps, you can turn to the maps there. In the Mediterranean Sea, Cyprus is, is, is in this corner up here of the Mediterranean Sea. And so they're coming across, and so it would have been on their left. And they would have been going on the south of it, not over it, but on the, uh, under it, like this. And so that's where they're they're headed, and then it tells us that they finally get to Syria, and they landed in Tyre. Now, Tyre is in the region of Phoenicia, and where they land in Tyre is about 200 miles south or so, somewhere around there, from where they had taken off. They had taken off from Syria, Antioch of Syria, which was 200 miles north, and they went by land all the way through. Now they're coming back by sea. But they're not going to go north. They're going to continue going south because he has to get to Jerusalem. It's important for him to make it to Jerusalem. And so in verse 4, it says that when they got to Tyre, it says, and finding uh, disciples, we stayed there seven days. They told Paul through the Spirit not to go to Jerusalem. Here's an interesting fact about Tyre and these disciples that are in Tyre, and for that matter, the church there as well. Because you see, Tyre, the people 
had come to that place, believers had gotten to Tyre because of the persecution that happened in the early church some 20-some years earlier. It tells us that they scattered. In Acts 11, verse 19, it says, Now those who were scattered after the persecution that arose after Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, that island, and Antioch, where they had started from, preaching the word to no one but the Jews only. And what makes this interesting is that Paul, who was then Saul, was the one that was instrumental in persecuting the church, the early church, if you remember. These people that had been in Jerusalem, they scattered to this region, and Tyre would have been one of those places. And so what we have here is that Paul is coming to a place that years ago had been, people had been scattered, and they came there, and now he's gathering them together. How ironic is that? The one who persecuted the church in Stephen's day have now accepted him to be a part of their fellowship. Now, I kind of wonder if anyone brought that up. Hey, Paul, you know why we're here, right, Paul? Because you were trying to kill us. Because you were, you were persecuting us. That's why we're here, Paul. And I wonder if Paul's going, I'm so sorry, guys. I wasn't a Christian then. I was a knucklehead. I was doing stuff I wasn't supposed to be doing. And maybe he sat there and shared the testimony. And I'm sure they've heard Paul's testimony. I'm sure that now Paul has been walking for, with the Lord for like 20 years that they've heard of Paul. But maybe they've never seen him. But now he's arrived there. And the one that first scattered the church is now gathering the church. Man, oh man, what salvation does in somebody's life, right? It brings people together. And it's interesting because as they are now all gathered together, and I'm sure they're excited that Paul is there. They told Paul through the Spirit not to go to Jerusalem. Somehow these disciples there entire, it was made aware to them that if Paul went to Jerusalem, he would face some trouble there. It, it tells us in, in, in the Amplified, it says this, prompted by the Holy Spirit, they kept telling Paul not to set foot in Jerusalem. The NIV puts it like this, through the Spirit, they urged Paul not to go to Jerusalem. The New Living Translation says, these believers prophesied through the Holy Spirit, that Paul should not go to Jerusalem. Now, it's interesting because the Lord had laid it on Paul's heart to go to Jerusalem. And even though he had some setbacks before leaving Corinth, because he wanted to leave Corinth and go straight away to Jerusalem, he couldn't do that. And along the way, even as he's going across, and we'll read it a little later again, because we saw it last week, it's like the Lord kept on confirming, you need to be in Jerusalem. And so his heart was to arise and go and get to Jerusalem eventually. That was his heart. Again, back in, in chapter 20, uh, 19, verse 21, it says, When these things were accomplished, when he was finishing up the third missionary journey, 
Paul purposed in the Spirit when he had passed through Macedonia and Achaia to go to Jerusalem, saying, After I have been there, I must see Rome. So he had to get to Jerusalem before he could get to Rome. Last week, what we read, part of what we read, it says in, in chapter 20, verses 22 and 23, And see, now I go bound in the Spirit to Jerusalem, not knowing the things that will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies in every city, saying, Chains and tribulations await me. But now... <laughs> It kind of sounds that Paul is not supposed to be going to Jerusalem. Why? Because people are telling him, I don't think it's good for you to go. There's a lot of trouble awaiting you, Paul, going to Jerusalem. And I'm sure he's thinking, well, tell me something I don't know. Because God's already revealed that to me, that I'm supposed to go to Jerusalem. But they're going, but I don't think you should go, Paul. And the way I see it is that Paul knew. God had already told him, there's chains waiting for you. There's tribulations waiting for you, Paul. It had already been revealed to him. And so is it possible that the Holy Spirit revealed to these guys entire, these disciples, that Paul would run into, into trouble? And they took it upon themselves to say, okay, God has revealed this to us, so now we need to tell Paul, don't go. I, I don't think they're trying to be malicious. I don't think they're trying to stop the work of God. I, th I just think as God revealed it to them, they're going, then we need to warn him that he shouldn't go. But we already heard in the text, Paul said, in every city that I'm going, people are telling me I shouldn't be going. So for some reason, God had continued to confirm in him, there's trouble awaiting you. Now, I think that any one of us would do the same thing as these brothers did. If you knew that a brother or sister that is in your life that you love dearly <laughs> was being called to go minister in a different country. That they were being called to go preach or be a missionary in a different country that you knew and I knew that, that there, there was a danger in going there. You would probably try to talk them out of it. Not because you're malicious, because you're concerned about them going anywhere. Especially if they're in your family. Now, I know that we would probably do it in a very kind and gentle way of going, have you really prayed about that? Maybe you should pray again. And God will show you what he's shown me. Don't go. Maybe. Maybe not. Maybe we would be as blunt as going, are you crazy? Are you stinking crazy? Do you know what they're doing to Christians there? They are persecuting Christians. They are killing Christians. See, you and I would go, you don't want to go there. <laughs> Why? Because we don't like the outcome. Because they might get hurt along the way. And God forbid that any Christian ever gets hurt. 
Because God would never allow us to go anywhere where we might get hurt, right? Because that's our mindset. If there's danger, stay out of danger. Because that's what the gospel tells us. Stay out of danger. Don't get into a dangerous situation. No, that's not what it tells us, right? He sends us into places where people need to hear the gospel. (laughs) And God would never allow his people to be put in those places. Not in this day and age. We could understand Paul, because he's a great apostle, Paul. We could understand the forefathers that have gone before us to go lay down the groundwork. But God really doesn't want you to be persecuted. (laughs) I'm being facetious because that has not changed. More Christians die, have died in this last millennium than ever before, than the first, you know, 1900 years of the church. People still get killed and persecuted. Now, they all tried to dissuade him from going. And they did this for seven days. Every time they met, it's like, Paul, you're not supposed to be going, Paul, because it's going to be hurtful for you. And yet, Paul was still persuaded that God had called him to go because God had already revealed to him Chains and tribulations await you. And so when it says here, and in verse 5, and when they had come, or when we had come to the end of those days, we departed and went our way. I I love this departure that is going on here in verses 5 and 6. I love the departure, but it's not as intense as what we read in verse 1. You see, the Greek word for departed here in in verse 5 is a different Greek word than we read about earlier. This one means to depart, get, get out, go abroad, go away, hit the road, Jack, bon voyage, all of those kinds of, it doesn't mean those two things, I just threw that in there. But it's a beautiful send-off here. Even though they're thinking, you shouldn't be going, Paul. He is still departing. They can't stop him. Only because he knows what God has called them to do. But these people, in, in seven short days, have fallen in love with this guy. And I love the fact that they brought their families with them. As they're leaving the city, all these people are following him as they're going to the port where the ship is going to be at. And you see the love and the tenderness once again that, that we as Christians need to have for one another. Again, I don't know if you've ever been to, to places that you go visit other churches, whether it's in the, in the states or outside the states, and you get to meet some of the brothers and sisters, and it's only a few days, a week, a, a month, and man, you just fall in love with them. Why? Because we have something in common, which is Jesus. And there's this love that is attached to the family of God. So much so that when it's time to depart, sometimes it's hard. And so they all came with him. And I love the fact that as they all reached the shore, 
they knelt down and prayed. And this is what Barnes Notes commentary says. Any place may be proper to, for prayer. God is always and can easily hear prayer on the seashore as in a magnificent, most magnificent temple. In other words, it doesn't matter where you're at. You can pray. And I think in this instance, as we saw last week in, in, in chapter 20, verse 36, when the Apostle Paul prayed with the Ephesian elders, it shows us that there is no formal form, this formal place, this posture, this procedure, this method that you have to pray. I don't think God hears your prayer if you actually get on your knees. Great posture, but that's not the only posture. I don't think that God hears your prayers anymore if you're in here rather than at home. He hears your prayers. I don't think that you have to start praying in King James language so that he understands what you're actually saying because God only speaks King James. But, but, but you see, we have this mindset that it's a, your position, your, your timing, the way you do it. All of this just kind of blows that out of the water. Because it, 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 it almost tells us anywhere you are at, you can be in prayer with other people and with yourself. And I could only imagine that as Paul is praying, he is pouring out his desires for them as he is praying from his heart. And, and, and again, there's going to be this departure and he may never see them again. So I, can, I could see him praying and just pouring out and then commending them, as we saw last week, to God. Turning them over to God, saying, Lord, you take care of them. You do the work, Lord. And so once again, we see the love of the people for Paul and how they fell in love with him in seven short days. They just love this guy. And it's interesting because you remember when he hurt these guys before? <laughs> All those years earlier, he had hurt them, and now they're praying with him, and they just totally love him. And then in verse 7, it says, And when we had finished our voyage from Tyre, we came to Telemaeus, Telemaeus, Telemaeus. Greeted the brethren and stayed with them one day. And so they continue on this coastal journey. Now, some think that they, he had gone on land. But again, it would have had a different word than voyage to me. Because it seems like a voyage would be on a ship or, a, or, or something to that effect. And so they traveled down on land or on the sea um, and so they, they come, they stop at one place, and they spend a day there. And then the next day, Paul and his companions, they depart, and they eventually get to Caesarea. Caesarea, again, another coastal city, is where they will stay for some time there before they head inland, and they actually start walking towards Jerusalem. But Caesarea, if you remember, back in, I think, chapter 11, or 10, somewhere around there. That is where we, we met Cornelius. Cornelius was from Caesarea, and he was that Roman centurion who had come to know the Lord 
through the ministry of Peter. But he's not mentioned here. But Philip is. And some of you remember who Philip is. You see, Philip has now been living there for about 20 years. And he has a heart for evangelism. In other words, to go out and share the gospel. And Caesarea has become his headquarters. Now, this must have been another interesting meeting. And I'm sure Paul and Philip had not formally met yet. But they knew who each other was. And I would say that Philip knew more about Paul than maybe Paul knew about Philip. Because we're reminded here that Philip was one of the original seven back in chapter 6 who had been chosen along with Stephen to wait on tables. And so Stephen was probably good friends with Philip. And Stephen was the one that Paul then saw consented to his death. And so you can imagine the meeting of Paul coming into Philip's home, Philip knowing you had a hand in, in, in murdering my friend, Stephen, back in the day. I don't know if it was awkward. I don't know if all was forgiven. I don't know if there's this like, this is the guy. My friend Stephen would be alive today if this guy had not consented, along with all the other religious leaders. And so you, you, you see this picture of what's happening. Paul is coming to places that at one point he had been an enemy to these people because he was coming against the church. But my, oh my, what salvation does in someone's life. It can turn someone who has been hard and hurting people to a guy who is now so gentle and kind that you just fall in love with the guy. Knowing that in the past, he has hurt the people you loved. My, oh my, what salvation does to someone. And you see, I think that God is the only one that could pull something off like this. And truly, you can love someone who has hurt you in the past. It could truly be turned around because of what God has done in someone's life. Again, I don't know if it was awkward. I don't know if it was even brought up. But this is a great example of how it should be in the church. You see, each one of us comes from different places. Each one of us has a different background. Each one of us has a different culture that we were brought up with. And yet, it is only within the church that we can come together and, and all those things are done away with. And that should be the example that we as Christians set. Because the world pits everybody against one another and we're seeing it happen day in and day out in our country and in this world. And we, as Christians, need to fight against that, that that doesn't creep into the church because it would be very easy to let that creep in. You see, when you become a Christian, you're in Christ. Yes, you still have your heritage. Yes, you still have your background. Yes, all of those things. But that is not who defines you anymore as a Christian. And we can't let that happen within the church of Christ. Because it's really easy to do that even within Christians and our society of what's going on. We need to fight against that 
as political as some of us can be, be careful that we don't let our politics dictate how we treat one another. And it's hard. It really is. Because you want to be pitted against one another because they, that's what the world tells us that we should be doing. But we see here that, that whatever happened in the past, they are now gathered together as brothers and sisters. And we need to be careful because, again, as much as I love my heritage, I don't identify as, as that. I identify in Christ. <laughs> I am in Christ first and foremost. That's who I am. Yes, I know my, my family history. Yes, I know where I've come from. Yes, I know all those things. But the gospel and my salvation transcends all of those things. I am a different man, just like Paul was a different man, now with his brothers and sisters. And we need to be careful and please, please, please fight against that. Again, I don't do social media. And I think I do that for a purpose, because <laughs> I'd get myself in trouble. Be careful, because sometimes you allow things from the world to influence what you say. And it pits you against your brother and sister now. And that's really hard to try to remedy that in this, in this place that we're, we're in right now as a culture. And so again, I think the gospel, our salvation, transcends all of those things because we don't want to bring it in here so it divides us as a people, as a body. This is what Galatians chapter 3, 26 to 29 says. For you are all sons of God, through faith in Christ Jesus. Understand that portion. Not everybody's a child of God. <laughs> it's only through faith in Christ Jesus that anybody can be a son of God. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Greek, Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave or, nor free. There is neither male nor female for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. See, everything changes when you become a Christian. <laughs> you are now in Christ. You are now part of a different family. And I love that this man, again, more detail about, about Philip and how he raised his household, that it says, now this man had four virgin daughters who prophesied. These four daughters of Philip had the gift of prophecy. And the gift of prophecy in, in, in 1 Corinthians 14.3 is speaking of edification, exhortation, and comfort. But the Greek word here tells us that it means to foretell events, divine, speak under the inspiration, exercise the prophetic office. These young ladies were able to do those kinds of things in the Spirit, through the Spirit, not their flesh. This is what Peter said on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, verses 16 through 18. But this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. And it shall come to pass in the last days, says God, that I will pour out of my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see dream, or shall see, 
see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. And your men servants and your men mate manservants and your maidservants will pour out my spirit. I will pour out my spirit in those days and they shall prophesy. And so even back then, that is what's happening in the life of these four young ladies that were seeking after God. Their dad was teaching them how to seek the Lord and the Lord had blessed them with this gift of prophecy. And then it says, And as we stayed there many days, a certain prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. Now, Agabus has been mentioned before back in Acts 11, 27 and 28. He was one of the prophets that had come down from Jerusalem at that time or had gone to Antioch. So Paul knew who this man was. And back in chapter 11, it says that Agabus stood up and showed by the Spirit that there was going to be a great famine throughout all the world. And sure enough, it happened. Here, Agabus gets there and somehow grabs Paul's belt or girdle, as they call it as well, takes it from him and shows them what's going to happen to Paul. Again, I don't know how he grabbed the belt, but he started wrapping his feet and his hands, and he begins to say, this is what's going to happen. Now, obviously, Agabus is into interpretive prophesying, making all these motions, because again, back in chapter 11, it says that he showed by the Spirit. So he'd like to be a little, you know, like getting the belt and tying them. You know, you're probably going, what is he doing? Kind of dancing at the same time. That's interesting. No, I'm kidding. I don't know if he's dancing. <laughs> but, but he says this through the Holy Spirit. Thus says the Holy Spirit. So shall this happen, or, or the, uh, shall the Jews at Jerusalem bind the man who owns this, this belt and deliver him to the Gentiles. And so once again, Paul is being dissuaded from going to Jerusalem. And this is a well-meaning brother. I don't think he wanted to see Paul get hurt. And so when the Holy Spirit reveals to him, hey, go grab his belt and tie yourself up and tell them this is what's going to happen to Paul. I'm sure he's doing it in the best way he knows how to say, please, Paul, I don't think you need to go to Jerusalem because this is what's going to happen to you. Now, some might think that as we're looking at what happened back in, in verse 4, where, where the Spirit said, do not go to Jerusalem, and what is being said here, do not go to Jerusalem, that there might be a contradiction that is going on here. Was Paul supposed to still go to Jerusalem, or was he not supposed to go to Jerusalem? Was he being led by the Lord or was he now being led by his own pride because he thought that God told him a while back that he needed to go to Jerusalem and he couldn't turn that around? I, I don't see a contradiction here as I read what I've just read. If anything, I see a confirmation of what the Lord had already shown Paul. And Paul was being persuaded by God and not by man. Again, if you turn back 
a page or two to chapter 20, and we read verses 22 to 24, and then go back to our text and read 11 to 13, I, 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 again, I, I don't see a contradiction there. Where it says in verse 22 of chapter 20, And see, I go bound in the Spirit to Jerusalem, not knowing the things that will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies in every city, saying that chains and tribulation await me. But none of these things move me, nor do I count my life dear to myself, so that I may finish my race with joy and the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus to testify the gospel of the grace of God. And so when you go to verse 11 of our text, it says, When he had come to us, he took Paul's belt, bound his hands and feet, and said, Thus says the Holy Spirit, So shall the Jews at Jerusalem bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. Now, when we heard these things, both we and those in that place pleaded with him not to go to Jerusalem. Verse 13, then Paul answered, what do you mean by weeping and, wep and, and breaking my heart? For I am ready not only to be bound, but also to die at Jerusalem for the sake or, or for, for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. I see no contradiction there. What, what I see there is confirmation because God had already revealed these things to Paul. Everywhere he went, people were saying, I don't think you're supposed to go. It's interesting because he had been there five years earlier and nobody told him he shouldn't go then. But now people have caught wind. They want to kill you over there, Paul. They want to hurt you over there, Paul. I don't think you're supposed to be going. He's going, he's already confirmed it. Everywhere I'm going, I'm getting the same thing. Don't go. But I know what the Holy Spirit has already told me. This is where it kind of gets dicey. <laughs> this is where, where all of a sudden you're going, okay, how do I know what God is saying here? The Lord had already prepared him of what was going to happen. Paul would have been wrong and disobedient if he had listened to those who told him not to go. Now, God surrounds us with some good, sound, godly counsel in his word. And we should surround ourselves in a multitude of counselors as well. Now, I truly believe that God will always, always speak through His Word. That's how He speaks to us more often than not, through His Word. I truly believe that He will always speak to us. But I also believe that God can and will use people to confirm, not to contradict what He is saying. Now, I'm not saying that God cannot use people in our lives to challenge us if we truly heard from God. I don't think that's wrong. To, to, to hear if somebody says, God's telling me this, that we would say, okay, give me chapter and verse of where God told you. And that's why it's important for us to know and have chapter and verse when we're saying, thus says the Lord. 
Because again, if he has told us what to do, it should have come from the Word of God, first and foremost. And so it's important that when somebody challenges you to go, well, let me show you where God spoke into my life. And it doesn't mean that God spoke to them, but they're concerned for you. And I think well-meaning brothers and sisters do that to one another. I don't think that it's wrong per se, but we should have chapter and verse. Now, if you are not reading the Word of God regularly and only listening to people, even with their best intentions in mind for your life, you're listening to man and not God. Because you haven't even acknowledged God. Oh, no, I prayed. It's like, really? How, how did you pray? When did you pray? What did God speak to you? Because I could guarantee you he would have drew you back to his word and confirmed it through his word. And I know that the, the, the question might be lingering out there as to when do I know if it is God or if it is just me and when do I listen to what other people say? And I would have to say that if you are making it a habit of being in the Word of God regularly, on the daily. And you have been known for making regular, regular godly decisions, prudent decisions in your life. You can consider what other people are saying, but the Word of God will be the final say in your life. If that's who, you're, who you are on a regular basis, you will be able to say, but this is what God says. Because God will always speak through His Word. But if you are not in the Word of God daily, and you have been known for making rash decisions, ungodly decisions, unwise decisions in your life, then I would advise you, seek some godly people in your life. <laughs> Let them be the voice of reason for you if you're not in the Word daily. Because they might be able to help you to put things in perspective. I'm sure Paul listened to everything these people were saying. Again, he's been going from city to city and God had been confirming it to him. And I'm sure there was other people going, Paul, it's not a good idea. But he knew what God had said. You see... He knew what God had spoken to him, and he was willing to go to Jerusalem. Why? Because he was willing to pay the consequences. And that's what he had told us last week, and he tells us again this week. Guys, I'm ready to be bound. I'm okay with that. God has already told me that there's chains and persecution awaiting me. I'm good with that. But you see, we would be saying, I don't think God would want you to get hurt, Paul. I think God wants you to play it safe, Paul. <laughs> he was willing to pay the consequences. And I think that when well-meaning brothers and sisters in our lives try to hold us back from what God has already shown us, it's not because they want to hurt you. It's because they're concerned about what the outcome might be, whether they ever see you or not, <laughs> whether you ever come back or not. 
And I tell you, man, that, that would be a hard decision to see my baby girl or my son or somebody take off like that and go, oh, I don't know if I want you to go. I'd probably be one of those people going, have you really prayed for this? Again, when we read what he said in verse 24 of the last chapter and when we read what verse 13 tells us here, we have to conclude that it wasn't foolishness on Paul's part to go to Jerusalem. It was obedience, knowing the chains and tribulations awaited him. It's not to say that those who told Paul not to go were wrong. God had spoken to them. God had prepared them to tell Paul, hey, there's, there's pain and suffering going to happen. And he says, I know that. And I'm good with that. For Paul, that was more confirmation. It wasn't contradiction. So at the end here, verse 14, so when he would not be persuaded, we ceased. <laughs> May we never be the ones that interrupt the plan of God in somebody else's life that we would be very, very careful not to overstep our bounds because of love's sake <laughs> for our brothers and sisters. It's not to say you can't challenge them if they truly heard from the Lord. But at one point, it has to come to a point where we cease, hold our peace, be quiet, give it a rest, <laughs> let them go. I was telling somebody in between services that I often tell people when they're going, I have this option or that option. And it depends on who they are. <laughs> because again, people for some reason don't care what I think. But, but I often want to take them back to the Word of God. It's like, what has God shown you? And who am I to stop you? But you see, usually when they can give me chapter and verse, I say, pick whatever you want. Either way you go, whether you stay or go, whether you go that way or that way, you're going to be in God's will because you've been seeking Him along the way. So it doesn't matter. You will end up in God's will. And again, these guys finally understood. It's like, okay, the will of the Lord be done. And that should be our final, our final say to some people as much as it might hurt us, to let them go. Let the will of the Lord be done. Guys, we have an awesome opportunity again to be able to come together this morning and have communion. There's so many things that we can learn from, from the scriptures, but one of the things that, again, that we always have to keep in the forefront of our minds is the, the, the finished work of Jesus Christ in our lives. You see, you can't do nothing to, 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 to be worthy enough to take care or take communion. You didn't pay a thing for it, but He paid it all. And because He paid it all, we are to remember Him in His death until He comes. And so because He loved you and I so much, God sent His Son that He may be killed, persecuted, 
all of those things on our behalf. And yet, what did he say? Hey, is there any other way? Nope. Then your will be done, Lord, not my will. And, and, and so we get to remember that today, that when he started bleeding, that when he was being beat up, it was on your behalf and my behalf. He was paying the price that you and I could never pay. Oh, it cost God everything. It cost him his son. But we have this opportunity of gathering together. And again, it will be self-serve. Roger will come up. He'll sing some songs. We have the opportunity of coming, in, coming up during that song. I don't know if there will be social distancing happening, but there's some over there, over here, over here, over here. And again, there's two layers to this little opening. Just remember that. There's a thin little layer up on top and then the wafer. And then when you open the whole thing, you'll see it. It will open up and then you can take of the juice. Amen? Let's pray. Father.